Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of ME Architects Make It Innovative, featuring deep dive discussions on the world of innovation as it relates to the built environment. You guys, today we're talking about coffee, sustainability, innovation, and all around great people doing great things. And everyone in this room is heavily caffeinated. We're ready. We are ready, you guys. We have so much energy after this episode. You are not going to know what to do with it. So today... We are talking with one of, hands down, the coolest people I've ever met in my entire life, Brandon Burr, who's right now blushing uh, behind his mask. She's in over here. From Crimson Cup Coffee. And we're going to talk about all things coffee and everything that Brandon has contributed to that incredible world. If you don't believe me, because I think everyone is cool, he is actually the coolest. And he was even named one of the 10 best coffee pros to follow on Instagram. For those of you who don't know Crimson Cup, get with it. But also, Crimson Cup Coffee and Tea was named Roast Magazine's 2016 Macro Roaster of the Year and is getting ready to celebrate 30 years of coffee and community. Since 1991, Crimson has roasted sustainably sourced specialty and craft coffee in small batches. The company also teaches entrepreneurs how to run successful coffee houses through its Coffee Franchise Alternative Program, which includes a coffee shop business plan. Crimson Cup Coffee is available through a community of more than 350 independent coffee houses, grocers, colleges, and universities, restaurants, and food service operations across 30 states, and casually in Guam and Bangladesh, which we'll get into later because that's one of my favorite stories, as well as the company's own Crimson Cup coffee houses. To learn more, you can visit crimsoncup.com. Let's also talk about the man, the myth, the legend, Brandon, who is known throughout the world for his coffee skills, speaking internationally on the topic and teaching people all about his ways as it relates to coffee, sustainability, ethically sourcing, and a ton of innovation. So it only seemed right to have him on today with one of the most incredible people at MA, our very own Director of Sustainability, Jonna Keller. Welcome, guys. Welcome to Make hey, It Innovative. This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lots of affirmation in that intro. Do you feel good? Do you feel hyped? Oh, man. If you weren't pumped up before, you should feel now. Seriously. It's the coffee, the four cups of coffee. He said it's been a light morning for him. It didn't get to you yet. That better have hyped <laughs> you up. I usually tell myself that I do good job in the mirror, and that's it. And uh, that's been 2020, so this <laughs> is that was awesome. Thank you. You're feeling good. Yeah, All feeling right. feeling really good. Well, we're going to capitalize on that, you guys. Before we turn it a little bit more professional, we're going to keep it personal. Brandon, you ready? Yeah. I'm going to ask you three questions. Hit me. Let's do it. If you had a spontaneous day off, what is the first thing you would do? I'd probably sit uh, in my house <laughs> and stare out the window <laughs> like that meme of the, the guy standing by the window staring out. <laughs> uh, I would probably do woodworking. I'm actually, cool. uh, I like to, to do a lot of furniture building and carpentry and I'm converting my grandmother's old uh, stereo, like the cabinet stereo, and I'm going to convert it into like a buffet. So I would probably be working on something like that. Literally nothing you are not good at. Uh, what is your go-to coping method or mechanism when you're feeling overwhelmed or anxious? Oh, man. Uh, meditation and, uh, I mean, I guess Ramdas. I don't know if anyone's familiar with Ramdas. I don't know what that is. Tell us. Uh, Ramdas is a, is a guru. And uh, he was the head of psychology at Stanford University back in the 60s with Tim Leary, the guy that did the uh, LSD trials. And uh, he went around the world learning about all the religions and kind of came up with his own idea of what the world is. And uh, man, his, his words are, 
they they transcend borders of religions and they kind of just teach you how to come to peace with the world that you're living in. Nice. Yeah. Especially needed in this year. Yeah. Or actually after last year. Oh my gosh. Wonderful. All right. Last question for you, Brandon. What is the best thing to happen to you this year? I mean, uh, I, I did a podcast and I recently did a demonstration um, for a, uh, an organization that talks about sobriety. Because uh, I've been sober for many, many, many years, and uh, I think there's better. There's a lot of different ways to enjoy beverages, and uh, I don't think that you need alcohol to do that. So um, definitely not, especially if you have a crimson cup near you. Right? Pow, pow! Plug that. <laughs> All right, Jonna, let's turn it over to you. That's awesome, Brandon. Jonna, if you had a spontaneous day off, what is the first thing you would do? Sad to say that I'd probably just do little chores around the house, but I recently tried to replace all the electrical outlets in my kitchen for reasons I won't go into right here. Um, it was an aesthetic thing. It was ridiculous. It turns out I'm not an electrician. And, I <laughs> and for those of you who are not in the room, she still has all of her hair and her yeah. eyebrows, so at least we know that was successful. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not an electrician. I had to call an electrician, and 300 bucks later, all the electrical outlets in our kitchen are replaced. Are nice. Nice. So I don't... Maybe I shouldn't do little home chores around the house. I should figure out something to do outside. Or some YouTube videos to learn how to improve that. Maybe. Possibly. All right. What is your go-to coping method or mechanism when you're feeling overwhelmed and anxious? Well, 2020 was the year of me building out my basement gym. So I have all the weights. So I could probably just go deadlift. I love that. You love throwing around heavy weights. I do love throwing around heavy weights. Lesser known fact about you. <laughs> all right. Last question. Jonna, what is the best thing to happen to you this year? Oh, well, yesterday, because it snowed, although I guess it's still snowing today, um, we went for like a little family outing and took the dog, the new dog, out to see the snow. Loves the snow. Awesome. Like, just rolls around in it. He thought this was the best dog park and doesn't understand why there aren't more dog parks with snow. <laughs> or I guess he wonders why we don't take him to all the dog parks with snow. Like, you guys, this one had snow. Yeah. <laughs> why haven't you been taking me here? <laughs> So he found new friends. He played with the kids sledding. He played with new dog friends. He rolled around. It was so much joy. Mm. So that, much joy. That is so wonderful. I uh, love it. We went for a walk yesterday. It was beautiful. It was nice. It was quiet. It was crisp. All right. Well, let's go ahead and kick things off. So, uh, Brandon, why don't you give us maybe a baseline and just tell us a little bit about Crimson Cup and what it is that you do there. Crimson Cup has been, like you know, we said earlier, has been around for almost 30 years. And... Uh, we, we roast coffee, and we have retail presence here in, in Columbus and up, up in Talmadge, Ohio, a little bit north of Columbus. Uh, we teach and train a lot, um, and uh, I do all kinds of things for Crimson Cup, whether it be innovating beverages or, um, you know, I just did a, I was a project manager on a new brand that we just launched at, at Easton called Crimson, um, and that's kind of a, a place that we bring uh, the farmer story more to the surface and uh, kind of approach consumers and have that conversation about who's producing their products, which I imagine we'll talk about. Um, I have relationships with farmers. I uh, am a Q grader and I teach other people. I just went through the uh, instructor program for that, uh, which is like a sommelier program. And uh, soon enough, I'll be able to teach other people how to be a Q grader as well. So, and then I write curriculum for uh, the Specialty Coffee Association, mostly having to do with uh, sensory science. Wow. I mean, good thing you're heavily caffeinated. That is <clears throat> right? a list. That's a list. Some Brandon, stuff. you have to tell people what a Q grader is. 
So Cougar, it's it's a a certification that you get through the Coffee Quality Institute, which is a nonprofit here in the States, and they quantify the quality of coffees. Um, And you do this through uh, standard operating procedure and a lot of protocol uh, around how you get get there. Uh, To become a a Q grader, you go through, I think there's like 22 tests, and um, the pass rate isn't very high the first time. Uh, but uh, it's it's a really cool program. It's it's essentially like a sommelier program. So yeah. for coffee, for coffee. So versus wine sommelier, you yes. are a coffee sommelier Correct. essentially. Correct. And how many people are certified? Oh man, it's a growing it's a growing list. When I when I first got certified, there's only about a thousand, I think. Uh, now there's like roughly five thousand, but there's only fifty instructors. Wow. So, yeah. That's insane. So your palate just recognizes. Yeah, it's I'm I'm an olfaction guy. I smell everything, which is good and bad, you know. I smell farts a lot, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much anywhere I go, and that's it's a shame. And uh, but uh, yeah, I think that it's 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 really good for for what I do because I can I can smell really deep into to food and and beverage and more specifically coffee. And I can find the point of all of this is to 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 help grow better coffee, more sustainable coffee, higher quality coffee. And uh, you can smell when there's like a taint or a default or a a fault inside of the actual coffee. So if something happened wrong during growing or during processing, you know, you can find that through smell and taste uh, doing the cube Well, you can find that. Yeah. I think your your sense of smell is a little hyper- Right. It's insane. It's so cool to me. We've been talking so much about multi-sensory design at MA and how we can evolve you know, the next phase, the next innovation of, of design to become more multisensory. Yeah. And with COVID really affecting taste and smell, there's been a lot of research about that and how it's actually very neurological, yeah. that the senses of taste and smell. And so how multisensory design or a multisensory experience like smelling and tasting your coffee really has an impact on neurological pathways. And it really creates this imprint on your brain to create an experience that you remember in a, a different way when you're able to stimulate multisenses. The, the, the biggest thing is, you know, I, I recently talked to a neurosurgeon and uh, I was talking about sensory science and and he's like you know the the quickest way to a memory is through smell Mm -hmm. and uh, I think that you know you can play on nostalgia in different stores different different retail fronts with certain smells I mean because there's certain times where I just I smell something and it takes me to a, a specific place I mean obviously the the million plus cups of coffee I've smelled like I have a memory of each one of those cups of coffee. So and so crazy. when I when I smell something that tastes like something else, I, I remember that certain situation, which is really cool and, and with certain cups because it takes me to far off places typically. Yeah, I mean, it's, so it's because, you know, smell and memory are in the same part of the brain, right? Yep. And so it's interesting because a lot of retailers are capitalizing on that. They will put like lemon or other like more um, acidic, fresh scents in the air because it makes you feel like you have a more positive experience and that makes you feel like you're more apt to shop or to spend money in those stores. Right. We think about like, I, I remember when I was younger, I'd look at people that did like aromatherapy and I'm like, what are those guys doing? Like, why would they do the, a bunch of hippies? Now you're one of those and now guys. I'm like, now I'm like exploring everything that I can possibly smell and putting things together and understanding the chemical composition of how you know of different smells and like trying to mimic smells from the past so well so we use in our uh, respite rooms we have essential oils which do the exact same thing mm-hmm. right yep. they are specifically designed to help calm the central nervous system so i'm curious does the smell of coffee relax you or does it get you more like amped up well number one 
smell of coffee is the most recognizable smell in the world. Is it? Interesting. Yes. I would have said dough, so I'm glad to know coffee. Okay. Yes, <laughs> coffee. Um, so for me, like, I, I don't just smell coffee. Like, when I smell coffee, like, in the air, like, I smell the process of the coffee. I smell where the wow. coffee comes mm. from. I smell, like, the, the terrar, like we talked about earlier, how the coffee is grown. Like, there's a lot of things. When you smell so many cups of coffee, you dissect it, you know, and, like, it, I just don't smell typical coffee anymore. So coffee, the smell of coffee is not the smell of coffee in my head. Hmm. I love that he keeps saying you, like we're all included in this, this <laughs> yeah. superpower of yours, yes. you. When you <laughs> all, you know when you smell it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I want to ask if, as one becomes more experienced with uh, smelling and tasting coffee, do you just sort of, with an experienced person like yourself, do you sort of learn these abilities and like, oh, I can pick out this? Well, that's the thing is like, uh, there, there are you know, you're born with certain things. And, you know, genetically, we're all a little bit different. And genetically, I think that my nose is more sensitive than others. But if you if you look at taste and smell in general, we have evolved in a way that it hasn't changed. Like, we, we really all have some very similar capabilities when it comes to tasting and smelling. But the way that we consume food and beverage is completely different than the way that we did it thousands of years ago. You know, so we'd go out into the woods and we'd have to smell and taste things to make sure that they weren't poisonous. We still have that capability. It's just that there's a governing body that now tells, you know, grocery stores, hey, you can put this in there or you can't. And and we don't have to rely on our senses anymore to tell us if it's good or if it's mm. bad. Unless you're, you know, have something funky in the fridge and you want to make sure that you can still consume it. Yeah. <laughs> I think with practice, anyone can do pretty much anything. And uh, if you put your mind to it, I think that we all have really, really similar capabilities outside of athletic ability. Um, when it comes to our senses, though, I think, you know, if you were to go blind, those senses would go crazy, right? Your, your smell and your taste, you, it would be amplified because that's all you have to rely on. So if you could actually get to a place where you practice over and over again, taste many, many cups of coffee, you would be at a place where you could you could discern coffee the same way that I do. Well, what's interesting about that is that to your point about you know people who have dulled senses. So a lot of the people say there's a lot of studies that are showing that the reason that people are going towards more spicy food these days is because we all have our phones. I'm holding up my iPhone right now, and basically it's because we're touching the smooth surface over and over again. Our senses are craving the new, the different, the next, and so you yeah. know that's why sriracha is such a huge flavor uh, additive that a lot of people are going towards right now. So. I think it makes sense to me. All right, Jonna, before we get too deep into this conversation, welcome. We want to officially yes, recognize you on the show so everyone knows where that voice is coming from. But I also want you to share, as the Director of Sustainability, what it is that you do for MA. And also, we'll get into it more as we dive a little deeper into the conversation, but what the relationship is like between MA Architects and Crimson Cup Coffee. Thanks, Sam. So... Uh, I am the director of sustainability, and I sort of lead the vision of sustainability for MA. Um, and at MA, we really sort of envision that as not only environmental sustainability, but health and wellness, um, the health of people in the environment, um, and also uh, resilience and adaptability, because we are at the point where we really need to talk about resilience and adaptability in the built environment. So when when Brandon and I really get, we get together, we really just sort of geek out about sustainability and we probably should have a more professional relationship. <laughs> but honestly, we just talk about sustainability, um, climate change, how it's affecting the farmers. Uh, we also talk a little bit about how we have to talk to people about sustainability, because it's tricky. 
it's tricky. I mean, I went through this phase of, of you know, reframing sustainability as cost savings, having a conversation all around cost, not even talking about sustainability, but optimizing cost and value. And now I think we reframe the conversation as a health and wellness conversation. Mm. We can talk a lot about the building performance, but um, I never have to talk about building performance. I can talk about how people feel in the built environment, um, about thermal comfort and what, how we might redesign the building based on thermal comfort. People respond more to that. Um, and yet the solution is really about the building envelope in some ways. So it hits the environmental performance without having to talk about sustainability or climate change or um, energy use. Absolutely. I love it. You guys have the coolest relationship. And I love that between the two companies, even though they're such different worlds, you're able to share best practices and innovations and just expectations and ways that you guys can be stewards for change of the world of sustainability. I think it's so awesome. We have so, to stick together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. I love it. Good, good little team. Power numbers. I love it. You guys, we're going to break this conversation up into three parts. So I'm going to chat with Brandon a little bit about the personal side of the Crimson brand. Then we're going to hand it over to Jonna to talk about the sustainable side of the brand. And Mark's going to wrap up with the innovative side of the brand. So we're really going to hit all three of those angles and really get to know Crimson and Brandon and leave all of you guys with a lot of cool conversation to share with whoever you're with so you don't only have to talk about what's on the news. We're going to educate, inform, and hopefully raise some awareness for sustainability and innovation and the wonderful work Crimson is doing. So, you guys, if you live in Columbus, Ohio, you might know Crimson as a local coffee shop. I'm a Clintonville-ler. Uh, <laughs> we've got a Crimson there. Their New Orleans gives my husband life. Uh, but what you might not know is stuff like their Bangladesh story. Brandon, take it away. So, um, yeah, we do. We have a presence uh, all over the world. Not only do we travel to, like, meet farmers and stuff, but we we get ourselves into some pretty cool situations. One, one of such uh, right now is um, Bangladesh. We service Ohio State University. Uh, we, we have a big presence on campus. And uh, through that, a lot of people become – like loyalists to, to Crimson Cup Coffee. And so uh, these students that had graduated went back to Bangladesh, went back home, and and then um, decided to come back and have a conversation. Hey, you know, we should, you guys should franchise. And we're like, we don't franchise. That's against what we do. We don't franchise. We don't franchise. And so that conversation went on for about two years. And then finally, uh, they're like, listen, we want to open up something here in Dhaka, which is a huge, huge city, by the way. And uh, we're like, okay, cool. Let's 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 just get some stuff down on paper. And so now they have. They just opened up their sixth store. We're the largest coffee chain in Bangladesh, and uh, they have plans to grow outside of Bangladesh. Um, there's a lot of countries that they're they're looking at right now. But uh, so yeah, they they've come over. They come over often, and they they do trainings, and uh, we send big pallets of, <laughs> of coffee over there, and. Uh, really, really cool relationship. We've, we've turned up in many different places. We see ourselves on the internet sometimes in far off, off places, but, uh, it's, it's nice to see the logo in places where you haven't been, you know, like I, I saw some, uh, picture from Japan and someone had one of our t-shirts on and we're like, how does that, how does wow. that, how does that work out? That's pretty cool. So yeah. Diffusion of an innovation right there. I right. love that. Did yeah. I make this up or was it a Bollywood star? It, 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 
investor was a, a, a Bollywood star. Interesting. Yes. That's yes. what I thought you told me a while and ago. And I think a cricket, like I saw them at like the cricket draft for this year. So I think that like only X players are. So I think there's a cricket person involved and which I don't know anything about cricket. I, so I'm cool. Act like it. It's like a whole nother world. Also, I'm going to throw some words out here okay. of things that I've heard from you in conversation. Yeah. You pick up what you want to put down okay. for a little bit of some cool things that you guys have done. Talking about things like the fact that there is a Crimson Cup inside of the Pentagon, you have a relationship with NASA and the Army, and international recognition and awards. Talk to us about some of that cool stuff. So, uh, no, no longer in the Pentagon. We were in the Pentagon for a very short period of time, but I think that that's the way that food service providers work. Uh, but at one point in time, some of our people had to get like, you know, clearance to go into the Pentagon <laughs> to teach and train about <laughs> coffee, which is awesome. Um, outside of that, uh, the, the awards, I mean, like, you know, we've last year, two years ago, we won, um, the golden bean, uh, small franchise award. We've won, um, a good food award many, many of many times. Um, and we, we travel every year. I travel every year to be a judge at, uh, golden bean Australia, which, uh, is just <laughs> awesome to taste, you know, thousands of coffees, uh, in a sitting, like, you know, in a matter, wow. in a matter of a few days, you know, go through, you know, 12, 1500 coffees and the best coffees that you could possibly, I yeah. mean, there's some, some bad ones, but for the most part, like there's some just crazy coffee. They like their milk over there in mm. Australia. And, uh, I haven't drank milk since, uh, November of 2019. Um, because of the amount of milk I consumed with coffee over there for that uh, that last competition. Wow. What do it's, you even feel like at the end after you've oh, had 1,500 like, coffees? Like, the entire time? It's really good milk, and it's really good coffee. And, uh, you know, for me, when I taste something that tastes different, I'm going to consume the heck out of it. Not just it like doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the repercussions are. <laughs> like, if I have, if I'm super caffeinated and I hit a cup that's just amazing, I'm going to go back to it over and over and over again because tasting something new inside a coffee is such a rarity for me because I've tasted so many coffees. And, uh, but that, that's an issue when you're at a competition and you, you come by several of those. And so you just consume so much. And yeah, you don't sleep. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. It's, it's ridiculous. Like you, you regret every moment of it. You feel like you're levitating when you're in bed. And like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of symptoms. It's kind of cool. But then like, you know, the sickness comes in and you're like, man. What goes up must come down. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you, you, I just make my way through it. I think I've done it enough times now that my body's just like, oh, this again. You're like we're here again. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Just go. <laughs> I'm dead. That's amazing. All right. Are you allowed to say anything about your relationship with NASA or the Army? Um, I mean, our, our Army uh, relationship right now is uh, we, send, we send packages over to uh, Afghanistan and several different places. We know uh, a local gentleman, a medic here in, uh, based out of Columbus. And, uh, he does a lot with the air force and the army. And I think that, uh, yeah, we get a lot of coffee in different places, different hostile places. So interesting. Love it. I know you guys yeah. were working through some innovations, so yes. very cool. We won't get into that, um, top secret clearance stuff. And so anyway, so let's talk about though, things like ethical principles. It's a really important 
value to your company is this concept of the ethical principles and ethical sourcing means a lot to Crimson, means yeah. a lot to you personally. I know that for sure. So can you talk to me about the personal relationships you have with the farms you source from? I mean, a, a, a lot of a lot of really cool relationships. Uh, this last year, the only places I got to travel last year were at the beginning of the year, and that was in Uganda and Ethiopia, which I'm really glad because I don't know if you guys have been following the news, but uh, Uganda is having a big uh issue with uh, the pandemic and with voting and uh, the young person wanted to get into the the seat of president and it just there's a lot of it's turbulent right now and then in Ethiopia even on the way over here NPR was talking about Ethiopia and talking about how turbulent is uh, there it's becoming more and more um, uh, dangerous to travel there so I was really really fortunate to go back there I have some really cool friends in these places um, there's one group in particular in northwestern uh, Uganda, um, and they it's a community of coffee growers, and we actually help them build a uh, quality control lab. So the, most of the time when a, when a farmer picks coffee, it goes to a processing plant, and then they get paid, and that's it. Um, whereas what we're trying to do is we're trying to enable them to taste their own coffee, to understand the quality of that coffee, because that positions them better in the market to sell their coffee. So if, if you're doing all these things intentionally, like you're, you're mulching and you're pruning and you're, you're making sure that you're, you only pick ripe cherry, you're going to have a better quality coffee than someone that just goes out and doesn't do things intentionally. They just pick coffee and that's it. So these, these folks are, um, we want to reward that, right? Like you should, be you should be um offered uh the ability to to make good decisions when you're selling and when you're buying and Mm -hmm. so we just want to even off the playing field um and so they're going to be able to taste their own coffee roast their own coffee taste their own coffee and this is i mean these are people that have been growing coffee for millennia you know like uganda's on rift valley right you know up in this part of the the country it's on the rift valley so this is like where this is the birthplace of man Mm -hmm. and you know these people haven't haven't been consuming the coffee that's been exported and so this is a this enables them to to actually do that which is a really cool opportunity great group of people they call themselves a sustainability team oh, I love that. um I remember uh, one of the most impactful conversations I ever had was in 2018 when I was there and uh, I met a farmer her name was Grace and is a, is a really is a super touching um uh conversation but I said you know what's what's the biggest challenge right now and legit said global warming hmm. and uh and i mean you're talking some it's th- this this woman didn't you know didn't finish elementary school mm-hmm. and she had a great understanding of what was going on in the world around her and uh i think that that uh that that made me realize that uh it's 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 coming true right like i mean it's it's i i know through statistics and through you know just the power of observation mm-hmm. but the fact that someone out in the middle of nowhere can can gather that uh was super impactful on me so really cool relationship there ethiopia really great relationship with an agronomist there a guy that is all about sustainability and all about helping with philanthropy um and in the local community have some cool relationships in central america and uh one of one of my longest relationships is in peru and uh my friends don julio and uh denise and they are just they just give back to the community left and right they just want to make the they just want to make peru known for having the best coffee in the world which i do believe that they have the best coffee in the world Mm. well what's interesting to me about that is that 
So right now, because of the pandemic, a lot of people, a lot of retailers are struggling. They're trying to figure out how to connect with their consumers. And because a lot of the consumers are going to more of this like slow shopping methodology where they're making sure that what they spend their money on aligns with their values. And so a lot of these retailers are just trying to figure it out. But it sounds like you've already got this down pat. You've been doing this from how long has this been going on? Is this day one of like Crimson Cup or has it been an evolution? No, it's been an evolution. I remember the first time I went into Crimson Cup uh, as an employee. It's my first day and we went through the back of the roastery and I asked where a certain coffee was from and, and we could give country names or, you know, we could give regional names, but uh, I really wanted to know the farmers. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that that was an idea that a lot of people just really enjoyed and wanted to further. And so they started traveling. Actually, the year that I got there, that's when they, they started traveling to uh, coffee producing countries and starting to make relationships. And it's just grown and grown. And now, you know, my my... The, in an ideal world, 100% of what we purchase is driven through a uh, relationship. But uh, due to the, the cost of travel and all the resources that you have to put into relationships, you know, I'd say the majority, the great majority of our coffee, I'd say 80 plus percent, maybe 90 plus percent at this point um, is relationship driven. There are some, you know, decafs and some other things that we have to purchase uh, through different relationships with importers. Mm-hmm. So. And they're your personal relationships, too, which I think is so yeah. cool that you're the one really out there. What I'm really interested in is in my past lives, I've worked for a British company, a German company, a Jordanian company, and especially meeting their you know C-suite teams or whatever. It was always a hurdle because culturally there's just a lot of differences. And so you work with so many different types of farmers and countries and continents. And so how do you find a way to work with them all in a way that honors their culture with respect and in the communities that you work within, especially if there's a language barrier. So I'm just curious if you could share some tips or some things you've learned through your experiences as we all work together towards this world of being more respectful and open-minded in the idea of diversity. Well, I, I was fortunate enough to, to grow up in rural Indiana. And I say fortunate enough because it gave me uh, this work ethic. And um, I always had to work hard when I was a kid. You know, like if we wanted, I remember when I was really young, we would do carpentry. We'd build things in my dad's garage to fund like Christmases. Like, you know, wow. we'd, we'd sell that stuff at like festivals. And so I think that what I learned from day one is number one, I'm a white dude walking into someone else's home and I am in no way, shape or form an authority on anything when it comes to their life. Mm -hmm. And so being respect, respectable, like I want to, I want to make sure that there's mutual respect. I treat people like human beings because people are people are people are people. The same fears and the same, you know, pressures that I have here in the United States are the same pressures and fears that people have and aspirations. Like the, I, I, you know, like we all try to grow as human beings and as professionals and everyone wants the same thing. Everyone wants that. And so I think that just understanding that being empathetic to their their position like where they're from their cultural differences but one thing is that hard work transcends uh language barriers and so if i'm on someone's farm and there's work to be done and they're they you know they're doing work i'm gonna be i'm gonna be helping Hmm. with that work i love that and i think that that uh that just shows that you know I, i just think it shows respect and it's it's super important to, to have a really good foundation to any relationship. And that's a good way to start. So, yeah. I love that. That's powerful. I think that's a lot of tools and ideas that you can translate 
even within our own neighborhoods. You know what I mean? That idea of respect and that everybody has their own story. You're not the authority in anyone's life. And I love the idea of that hard work transcends any language. It's so, so true. You are so cool. So I have a question just off of that. So obviously when you go to these different countries and these different cultures, you're learning a lot. And you're not only bringing product back with you, you're giving them education. What's a couple of things that you've actually brought back to Crimson based off of some of your experiences with these different cultures? Well, I mean, food, number one. <laughs> I mean, when you go someplace and you try food and you're like, yeah, immediately. I remember the first time I went to Ethiopia is back in like 15 or something like that. And uh, I I came back home and within the first week, I had gone to an uh, Ethiopian restaurant here in town called Leila Bella. It's over on Main Street fantastic human beings and uh, delicious food. And so I went there like five times that first, five or six times that first week. And I just wanted to share it with everyone. So one thing that I bring back always is food. Mm. Like there's, I mean, every, all the food tastes different pretty much everywhere. And even in like within one country, like going from one region to the next, like you can have just such different foods. Um, the other thing is empathy. Like, I, I think that, you know, uh, who is it, Mark Twain that, that talked about travel and empathy. And I think that when you see certain things or you um, come to uh, have a relationship with someone that's that's different than yourself, I think that you grow more empathetic to that person's position. And um, I, I tell the story to my family and to my friends. And they I, I know that some people interpret that as... Um, a certain way, like maybe maybe a negative way where I might, you know, I might send egotistical saying, hey, I just traveled the world, you know, check this out. But a lot of people know who I am and know that I love everyone and know where that comes from. And it teaches them to be more empathetic. I look at the growth inside my own family and it is awe-inspiring. And so I will continue to, to share those experiences and to share those perspectives because I think that we all just need to Everyone needs to continue to grow, and um, not everyone is fortunate enough to travel the world. But uh, just to open up your ears and listen, uh, listen to those stories, I think is really impactful. Well, it, it kind of makes sense when you think about like what you're doing. Like you are going and you're educating, you're bringing people and you're educating, and you're you're taking that knowledge and you're not only educating your staff and the, and the business that you do, but you're educating the community that you're sitting in too, which I think is awesome because that provides diversification so people could just have new experiences. Amazing. I'm going to turn the conversation towards sustainability because I'm really curious for John and Brandon to kind of give you guys a sneak peek into their dialogue that they have when they're just riffing and I'm just in awe watching them and listening and trying to learn but understanding like every fifth word so let's do it uh you guys meet and brainstorm frequently on ideas and innovations as they relate to sustainability we talked about it a speck earlier can you give us some insight on some of those most recent conversations what are the things in the sustainability world that are making you more caffeinated than four cups of crimson coffee right now well, I was actually sitting here thinking through the sensory aspect and kind of thinking how we might reinvent the coffee shop to really enhance not just that coffee smell, but really dig into the whole story of the coffee and the process from the farmer to a retail outlet. Like, wonder what that would look like. And I'm actually kind of interested now in seeing what Mark Bryan might have to say, because we could talk about, you know, not only like the smell of the earth, but like the coffee roasting and the textures and the sights and like, Tell, I mean, you're big on telling the story of coffee and yeah. taking it back to the farmer, right? So, right. like, I feel like a lot of times I see the Disneyfication of that kind of a concept. Mm-hmm. But, like, what would it mean to have a genuine 
response of the or genuine storytelling and the response of the of the customer? What would that relationship I mean, look like? Man. Well, I think it's interesting because um, what you're talking about is taking retail to an experience, which is basically the next evolution of retail. Um, but what you're also talking about that's interesting is it's about the product, but it's not about consumption. It's not about purchasing. It's about educating at the same time too, which I think is what we're seeing. You know, we're seeing a lot of retailers going to these dark stores or these fulfillment centers because they don't know what to do to bring people into their stores. They still want that physical connection. So we're seeing things like live streaming platforms or, um, like I said, the, the, uh, dark stores because they don't know what to do with it. So I think that's where, you know, when we have that values, that alignment, that education, that's where this, that could be the future of, of the coffee shop right there. Yeah, I think this is a challenge. This is this is a challenge because the last thing that you want to do is you want you don't want to bring people into a space and be preachy at them, you know. And that's that's our problem right now is is how do you how do you get that story into that person's hands? So my my whole the whole concept at at Easton at the the Crimson Store was to to have such high quality uh, beverages. Um, with such discernible flavors that someone is going to taste it and they're going to be like, this is different. Why is this different? Why does this taste different than my normal cup of coffee? Why does this taste different than my normal cup of tea? And so I thought in my head, that's a good way to spark conversation because like when I taste something that's different, I'm going to absolutely ask. I think that we live in a really distant world right now. You know, like there's a lot of distance, even physically, like we might be close, but emotionally we're, you know, they're saying that we have less friends than we have ever had before and our relationships are suffering a little bit. And uh, I think that when it comes to the retail experience, I just, there's got to be some way to make someone comfortable enough to have that, to spark that conversation. And um, I think that we're, 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 we're adaptive and we're trying to make that happen at our Crimson store. It's just a lot harder than what it sounds, you know, to, to actually start that conversation. And, uh, again, we don't want to throw it down someone's throat and just be like, Hey, this cup was made by, you know, Abdul Sharif and, you know, Hey, he's in a cabina forest. And, you know, if they don't want to hear that, they just want a cup of coffee, then they just want a cup of coffee. And I think that it takes a lot of emotional intelligence on the person on the customer service side to understand where, where the customer lies. But, uh, the same time it's just a hard conversation to start i do think especially with mark and the research innovation team at ma we're doing a lot of research generationally and i do think it's a huge driver for gen z and some of the younger generations is that value mindset and investing in brands that are driven by the same values they share i, I see it in millennials as well and i'm not discounting any other generation but i think it's interesting that they actually care more to spend their money at a place where they really believe in community outreach or they really believe in sustainability or they really believe in women-owned business or black-owned businesses or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's so cool to think that every dollar you spend is almost a vote in something you believe in. So I'm curious, Brandon and Jana, from a sustainability perspective, even a cup of coffee every day, that's a vote. That's an investment in a brand that you believe in and in supporting a brand that's trying to do better. So how can people become more informed consumers? And how does an investment as seemingly small as a cup of coffee every morning make a big difference? So this is something we talked about. This is like when, when we get together and we have conversations, it sparks different conversations and then different ideas. And one of my ideas that I've been playing with this entire pandemic uh, has been a, a website of intentionality. Like instead of going to Google and trying to research every single item that you have, uh, having a 
like having a, a website where you go in, you type a product and, and maybe there's, you know, stories behind how that's produced and you can deduce yourself, like don't make it promotional about one, one brand or one company or whatever, but yeah. uh, have it where at least a, a consumer can get informed real quickly. And uh, I, the nice thing about our technology, you know, the technology revolution, the, the fact that there's transparency and, and there's access to technology in far off places is that more of those stories are coming to light and more of those ex- stories are becoming accessible. And so that, uh, you know, consumers can go on the internet and try to find some of that mm-hmm. stuff. But it's, it's really, to me, it's really difficult. And that, would, that, that was one of the ideas that was sparked when we were just talking about, I think we started off with like true zero waste and like a sustainability project I'm doing with OSU. And um, yeah, it, it, went, it went to that for some reason. <laughs> Well, have you heard of um, Dungood? No. So it's a Chrome extension where you can go in and it'll actually rate different companies based off of like if they've got like fair trade or like they're ethically sourced or things What's like that. What's a Chrome extension? So Chrome, so like your web browser, Chrome, right? So like you can just add it on. So like if you've uh, the Honey app, right, where you can get the coupons automatically applied to like the stores that you shop at. This would rate basically the sites that you go to and say if this was a more like ethical company or not. Um, so like my biggest, my biggest, the biggest hurdle of all of this stuff is there's got to be some level of trust somewhere, right? Because transparency only goes so far. Like I can position like how many companies greenwash what they're actually doing, right? Right. I mean, that's the biggest thing to do right now. Like I get calls from companies all the time. We're looking for a sustainability director. I'm like, cool. Like you guys just want a marketing person mm-hmm. that is really good at telling a story that m- might be an exaggeration of what you're actually doing, which is not, I mean, it's good and bad. It brings awareness to what's going on in the world and it, and it helps like drive that. I think that any good intention is, is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, who do you, who do you trust in the world of, of intentionality? Like who, and that's the thing is like, I keep coming up with this, like I keep coming back to this idea of this website, but then I'm like, but like, who am I? Like, someone's going to be like, I don't know that guy. Like, how do I trust that guy? So I think that there are different metrics that we can use to say that a company is sustainability or a product is sustainable more, more so than something else. But uh, trust is always going to be a, a huge hurdle in this world. Well, right. It's the, you know, so we moved from authenticity, right. which was the overused word of like what, 2019 oh my yep. gosh, yes. to then 2020 was, you know, the pandemic and everything like that. But now it's about trust and yeah. that's how we're going to get consumers to make sure that they stay engaged with brands. And so I think you hit the nail on the head in that trust and figuring out how people define that, how we can make sure that people can measure it is going to be a key factor for, for brands who want to promote their sustainability efforts as something that they are proud of and something that they're doing. I mean, 60% of Gen Zers actually say that they would support brands who have some kind of like um, value-based platform right. that they can align with. You know, they are the mission-based shoppers and they're the ones who are going to be setting the new trends coming up after the pandemic. So I think figuring that out now is important. It's so interesting. Trust is a concept you've been researching a lot, Mark, I've been researching a lot, we've been researching together as a firm, and it's such an interesting idea because there's no trust from a lot of research polls that have been coming out. A lot of people are saying they don't trust the government or they don't trust the media, which is 
possibly a good thing, the media being sensationalized, but they do trust their business's leadership or or things like that. So this is a concept that spans all industries, all sectors, all worlds, you know, is this idea of trust. And you think about, I love the modes of persuasion and those three ideas from a selling perspective, but then also from a buy-in perspective to get people to believe in whatever your brand is and develop that trust. And I think, you know, Brandon, you're humble to say, if, if you know, why should people trust me? But you have that ethos, you have that credibility, you know, and the logos and the pathos with the facts and then the emotions, you know, really kind of puts it all together. But I think more than ever, that credibility is so important. So I got it. So I'll just give my phone number. My cell phone is Erica 260. <laughs> <laughs> you guys just call anytime Dead. you got a question about our products, just give me a call. Yeah, right. Influencers are using cell phone numbers Seriously, now too. You, there's hilarious. nothing is safe, but it is interesting. We had a Gen Z podcast where we interviewed uh, our interned from Ohio State, who is a junior right now at Ohio State. She had interviewed her whole business fraternity. And so it was over like 200 people had brought their responses back and they were saying their big focus for 2021 was credibility and determining the credibility of sources, especially as it relates to health and wellness and things like that, pandemic news, whatever it may be. But, you know, if if you're looking up like, I don't know, crazynews.com versus like an actual press release from the governor or something like that. You know, it's such a variation of sources. Everyone on Instagram that's ever eaten a salad thinks they're a fitness influencer, you know, and are now doling out medical advice. And you're like, you have to check the source. So I do think that this idea of trust is going to come with almost a screening of sources and saying what makes you you know, what is your ethos? Where is your credibility stemming from? You know, not saying that it's necessarily all textbook bound or degree, decreed by degree, but it's interesting to think that there is going to be a lot more accountability, I think, this year and in the years to follow for trust. And you have to really be an expert in a very real way, which I I love the thing about you guys is that you live this idea of sustainability, both in the companies that you represent, but in your personal lives as well. Like you are truly, truly, truly walking the talk. You know, you're not just spitting things out, but you be- you believe it, you live it. It is your life from morning to night, you know, and it's so cool. Jana inspires me at home what I can be doing better, let alone what we can be pushing our clients to do better. And you very similarly, you know, in the relationships and even just if I choose to go to Crimson that day, I feel so much better about myself because I know I'm investing in a brand that cares and that matters. And it's real. It's not, to your point, a marketing scheme so they can have different posters on the wall you know it's it's a real thing but you guys have a lot of that credibility so just amazing work that's a that's a hard that's a hard balance too like to to be to be humble and to to not greenwash you know like but still be be an authority and i think that that's that's really hard and like when you were talking all i kept thinking about is imposter syndrome Hmm. like and how much that has grown over this last year and like the people that i want are the people that have that like that's that's the people I trust, but they're the they're the least accessible people, right? Like they're the like they're not going to be out on Instagram talking about how credible they are. So I think that there's there's got to be something soon. Hopefully, there's something soon where where we can we can actually find out who who is a credible source and who's not, because uh, unfortunately, the power of observation is becoming more and more significant to the general public than science. And that's a that's a that that's a scary scary place to be. It's an interesting shift. Definitely, that pendulum is swinging to an equilibrium. I'm laughing as I look at Mark Bryan because he is the king of imposter syndrome. He is. I mean, like the people in this room with me right now, you guys are just brilliant minds. Like these are people actively Including doing yourself. work. 
thanks that are changing the world. And I look at Mark and he constantly talks about imposter syndrome, you know, and he's a futurist. I mean, he, the things he predicts are like a crystal ball. And I, I look at all three of you and I just think, you know, you guys, how humbling to think that you feel like imposters when you are the actual advocates and activists and the ones doing the work. It's, it's so crazy to think, but I do think it's going to require more discerning minds and less trust before we get to this place of true trust. And it's so, it's going to be such an interesting process, but I think that the cream always rises to the top. And I think (laughs) coffee, maybe reference (laughs) (laughs) trying to stay relevant, but um, no, I think it is interesting. I think at the end of the day, you know, there's going to be a lot of unveiling in this, in this world of social media and hyperconnectivity. You can't really hide or lie. You know, you think now right. about cancel culture and people finding things of text messages when they were 15 years old resurfacing or Hilaria Baldwin. Like, you can't pretend to be somebody that you're not. It is the age of accountability. Yes, mm-hmm. I like that. Yep, this is Let's my favorite. This is, this is like, this is what I've been talking about over the last year. And I love it. I love it. You do something bad, guess what? You need to be held accountable for Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Like no doubt. Like we can't we can't hide. We can't it's gonna and that 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 is what's gonna spark trust. Yes. I, I do believe that. Well I also wonder where, you know, like things like blockchain technology and systemic transparency are gonna marry together to allow for people to have a log. You know, like we talk about it in terms of sustainability genre, right? Being able to know where the wood comes from, like how it's grown, like what's it invested, like what is the process to make it into the chair that we're sitting in, you know, and what's its afterlife, right? I think that's all part of sustainability too. Would you agree? This is a live brainstorm, you guys. (laughs) Wow, I feel like enlightened. (laughs) I feel like it might be a good place to transition to innovation too. Let's do it. Because you said something, Sam, and Brandon had made the comment earlier, so I'm just going to put us all on the spot. Where you talked about, you know, I think it was innovation. You need to live in the place of places where you're uncomfortable. And so I know that Crimson Cup has an innovation lab. It sounds like a place that I want to live. So could you tell us just a little bit about what it is and, and what it does? So the innovation lab was created back in 2015. Um, and we, we had a building and we're like, what are we going to do with this building? And, uh, you know, we're all about teaching and training and creating new, new, new drinks and uh, foresight into the future, like understanding where the curve, we want to be ahead of the curve, like when it comes to the coffee industry. And we've done a pretty good job of that. That was like, that was right at the beginning of like nitro coffee and like a couple of magazines picked us up mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh, you guys are doing nitro. What's this nitro about you and this other company are doing this in the United States. Like, and then it just grew into something just monster, obviously. Um, so we, we, we said, okay, we identified that that was a big part of who we are, one of the pillars of who Crimson Cup is. And so we're like, hey, let's just dedicate a facility to teach and train and to uh, make new, exciting uh, beverages and products for uh, the coffee industry. And so we just we built this uh, Specialty Coffee Association campus, got it certified, and uh, it's a really, really cool spot where you can roast coffee, taste coffee, prepare coffee, learn about coffee, watch coffee movies, whatever you want to do. Yeah. It's Benny's dream. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I'm curious. So, like, as a, as a futurist, I look for what I call signals and drivers. And so drivers are, like, the big world forces, and then signals are, like, the minor, like, little notes underneath of those. So... Uh, do you all, when you're thinking about future strategies for coffee, is there, do you have like an immersion wall where you just like pin up ideas or is it just like a lightning strikes your brain and somebody has this idea and you just test things out? You know, it's just, it's, it's typically a conversation between a couple people and it, it turns into something obviously a lot, a lot bigger. So, 
I think that uh, the way that we we do it is just through conversation, and then we just say, "Hey, does this make sense?" And okay, you take it, and then someone takes <laughs> it, you try it, and you're like, "No, that didn't make sense," or "Yeah, that did make sense." And thankfully, the track record is is pretty good. So, what's the craziest form of inspiration that you've had that's led to something just truly amazing? Man, you know, a lot of times it comes from travel. A lot of times, like I'll see something somewhere you know, in a far off place to me. And, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll just spark an, an idea. I don't, I don't specifically, like, I don't, like, I don't remember one instance where I was like, man, you know, oh, they used ketchup in that. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, wait, do people actually use ketchup? ketchup in coffee? Dude, there was a video, there's a viral video. They're like, check this out. And they're like ketchup with coffee. And everyone's like, oh my gosh. And it was an influencer. And so people started putting ketchup and coffee. It's terrible. There's no credibility. No, it was terrible. It was terrible. And people like the reaction of people tasting ketchup and don't put ketchup in your coffee, please. Don't do that. Don't waste your coffee. Never waste coffee. Well, so when you're coming up with these new products, you know, you said it's a conversation. Is part of that conversation about the consumer and the consumer's needs? Or is it about just flavor profiles and, and what you think might work? all of it, all of the above. And then also add the dimension of, um, intentionality. So like, okay, can we, can we source hibiscus ourselves? Like if we're going to put this in here, can we get it like in a responsible way? So I think that's, that's part of the conversation too, is like, you know, the ingredients, I can make something out of anything. I can go to the grocery store and find almost any ingredient that I want now, you know, or specialty market or whatever. But like, is that a responsibly sourced product? Cause I'm responsibly sourcing my coffee. Like, should I also responsibly source the ingredients that go into this? And that's why like, you know, we're doing cacao from Peru and we're doing, you know, vanilla beans from, from Guatemala. We're trying to be more intentional with everything that we use for that product. So that's part of the conversation as well. I love that. Just because you can, doesn't mean that you should. Right. And making those choices, John, how do you feel like that translates into the built environment? So it's that idea, the sustainability concept, that spans industries, but how does that translate specifically to design? Yeah, I think um, the most related that I can think of, and bear with me for a second, um, is talking about legally sourcing wood, and that's become a real issue. And even though it says FSU certified wood, it doesn't necessarily mean it's responsibly sourced. Um, I, but I think in general, we're starting to dig into that upstream, like who the company is that's providing the building product or this goes back to your greenwashing, right? I mean, this and this is what uh, Larry Fink just wrote about. Like, who are we investing in? And uh, I think that's where sort of upstream look at things. Like, it's not good enough to say, we got a product that has more recycled content. It's about looking at the company and saying, this is what how they treat their factory workers. This is how they treat the people in the neighborhood around the factories. This is how they transport those goods to the to the site. This is how they extract the raw materials, it's about looking at the entire everything that goes into something kind of as small and as simple as a building product, but makes up the entire building. All those products make up an entire building um, and have a larger impact than that single building. I love that. So looking at it holistically, not just at the marketing package that a company is necessarily putting forward. Yeah, it's huge. Access to that information, I think, is really important. Again, the transparency within a company and I think that that's that's growing at least in the coffee industry is like we're trying to be more transparent with the way that we you know how much we pay our our retail people versus in in addition how much you know like 
what you do with your waste, your waste stream within your organization and what you do with your coffee and what you, you know, like, I think that it's, it is, it is a very holistic, uh, way of doing things. And I think that's, that's ultimately the best way to do things. And this is what, this is what Gen Z is wanting, right? This right. Is what they are. I love that. It's a great catalyst for change. I think it's a really inspiring generation. But you both have talked about waste reduction really briefly. And I know, Brandon, you are working on a project right now with Ohio State and working on some stuff with Crimson. And I know, Jonna, you were a huge part of that program for White Castle. So can you guys talk about maybe people who aren't really familiar with waste reduction programs or what that means? Can you talk about what that work even looks like? Um, well, it's just been really interesting sort of living in Columbus the past five years because I still feel very new. But um, seeing – maybe it's because it's a smaller-knit community, but then I learned things like um, – to bring up another brand for a second, sorry. Land Grant uh, gives some of their waste products to OSU's health and wellness garden that is for the cancer patients for the James. Awesome. And like, um, so, yeah, we have been working with some of our clients on uh, waste reduction, but um, – those really take for us those really take the forms of like how do we provide the infrastructure for the programs programs that you're already doing and then sometimes i can spark a little thing like hey here's a company that will take almost any waste you might generate and they're like oh well we didn't think about that and we have this other stuff and we're now we have more recycling streams i love that um but so i like talking to the actual people who are (laughs) doing the work as opposed to us who are like building the infrastructure to support that work but thinking through things like land grant uh gives away some of their their waste and i've forgotten the actual part of the the waste that goes to the you probably know better than i do um some grain thing yeah, probably the used grain after <laughs> after they get the sugars out of it yeah and I, coffee is great for gardens we we've had that in our compost at home i guess you don't want to use too much of it but like that's an option for you guys and well that's the thing is like uh, the, the more i mean this has sparked like a lot of interest on on my the last conversation that we had we talked about true zero waste the program through the usbc or us uh, green building council sorry and um so then uh, i started working with this group of osu students and there's this like really cool grant program this competition that we're uh, a part of we're one of six teams corporate teams and we're the smallest you know, like all these other big guys, they have like sustainability teams and it's like me on conversation. <laughs> phone calls. Like, it's me. And so uh, we've decided to go down this, this route of like you, you, the, the whole idea is to just get rid of waste and like don't have, you know, utilize all the waste that you have um, and uh, just don't produce a lot of waste. And I think that, uh, it's a really, really cool concept. And one thing that I found out is like when we talk about coffee grounds inside of a garden, um, the thing that I didn't really grasp, which is so rudimentary, is that like people are like, it's so acidic for the soil. It's don't put a lot on because only acid loving plants love it. And then I'm like, but what about what, what's the content of acid inside of coffee? And how much of that soluble material is actually left after you brew the coffee? And so, like, really, you're putting cellulose. Like, it's essentially just cellulose on on your garden. So the pH level of ground used coffee is significantly far more neutral than just ground coffee. Obviously, ground coffee is anywhere from like four four something to five one or something like that. Like it is pretty acidic, but uh, yeah, I think that you can use it as mulch. You can use it as as anything for your your garden. It's hard to turn that cellulose into compost because it is such a hard structure, um, and the 
you can add things to it to help with that process or you can just put it on your garden and just wait a few years and it'll finally yeah that's what i do <laughs> that's what we do yeah but uh, come to find out you can use it for you can use it in a lot of different applications and i think it's it's okay and and i want to say i know that you said it, it feels like you're small guys and it's just you but the beauty that i found at columbus is that you can reach out to to us to other people we're i feel like there are a lot of because it's a smaller network of people, I feel like we're able to tap into other people and other companies and say, hey, I have this idea. Is this, is this work? Is this a thing? What do you think? Yeah, I think the, the, the entrance into market is shorter, you know, for these, for these concepts. Like, we don't have as much red tape. And, like, I just, like, if I have a really good idea and I think that it's a, a sustainable thing to do, I could just go to Greg and be like, hey, man, do you want to do this? And he's like, yeah, let's do that. And that's it. That's More company, like, yeah. and not even mm-hmm. an email or, you know, like a proper proposal. It's just like, hey, I got an idea, dude. He's <laughs> like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it is, it is easy to get that into action, I think. Well, and so speaking of ideas, so one last thing for you guys both. If you were to give just like one tip for somebody to be a little bit more sustainable, a little bit more innovative in their lives today, what's the one thing you would encourage people to do? I, I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think that we're no longer at a place where it's on an individual, build, an individual person basis or an individual building basis, and we need to be thinking broader, bigger. It needs to be at the community scale. It needs to be at the building policy scale. It needs to be on the corporation scale. This is where you really start to influence significant change that's going to make a difference. Um, so maybe go to a community meeting and inspire a group of people. Maybe look at building policy and inspire that change. I love, I love that. that. Have a conversation. Yeah, that's a, it's a, the fortunate and unfortunate thing about sustainability in general is that it's, it's usually a push by consumers rather than a pull. And uh, I think that that we're, we're slowly starting to get this base of companies that give a crap, right. And they, they actually want to do good. And, um, I think that you have a lot of companies that are becoming that because consumers are demanding that. And uh, so when consumers are demanding that, obviously that's where a lot of greenwashing comes from because they just, they want to do the bare minimum to actually make an impact because they're not, they're not really motivated to actually make an impact. They're motivated because they're, they just want to sell to their customer. So for me, I think that, uh, we need to continue to push as consumers. We need to continue to push the people that are actually making those large decisions. Um, but at the same time, I think that we just need to have that conversation. Like, just talk about it. The more you talk about it, the more there's going to be a movement. Go into coffee house, have a, have a conversation, have a cup of coffee, and talk about how do we change the world. And uh, honestly, no one is too small to change the world. No one should have, no one is naive. Do not ever think that you're naive if you think that you're going to change the world because, damn it, you're going to change the world. You can do it. I love this. And have those conversations at Crimson or Crimson yeah. Cup. Yeah. Well, and hopefully this conversation gave people talking points and some education that they can spark their own conversation then from this and maybe share with at least one person, hey, I heard this podcast and I learned this. Did you have any idea about X, Y, and Z, waste reduction programs? I don't know what it is, but who knows? You know, you guys really spent a lot of time educating everyone today and our listeners on how they can take things away from this and hopefully start their own conversations. 
Yes. And I do have one final question for Brandon. It's one that I love to ask all of our guests just because I like to get everybody's outside perspectives. So, you know, we're calling 2020 the Great Accelerator. It's, you know, the year where we pushed ahead a lot of things that we said would never happen. So just thinking about innovation and and all the things that you do um, and everything that happened last year, what's, you know, a positive trend that you're tracking for this year that could impact what you're doing now or maybe even 10 years from now? Man. Acceptance. Um, so, so my, my biggest thing is I, I, I grew up in a, uh, both of my parents were in the army and, uh, my dad always had an idea of what masculinity was. And a lot of that derived from, you know, his upbringing in the, in the army as well. And, um, I was always afraid about, uh, sharing emotions and sharing feelings. And I think that, uh, toxic masculinity is on a decline. And I'm ready <laughs> because the future is fluid, and uh, I'm sick of I'm sick of roles. I'm I'm sick of that concept. I'm sick of the 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 motives behind it. And um, I think that uh, last year was a, a pivotal point uh, to just to just have people be people. And uh, I I think that that's that's really um, I'm optimistic about about that and about the future with that. And I agree. Well, guys, that's our show. Uh, We thank you for joining us. Thank you, Brandon and Jonna, for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you. We hope that you all learned something today. These are the innovations that we hope can help you find insight and inspiration in your lives and create change. We hope to hear more about these innovations in the days, weeks, and months to come. If you'd like to hear more about us or learn more about us, you can visit our website at ma-architects.com where we have a future up called The Future Is Now. If you want to continue the conversation, feel free to email me directly at markb at ma-architects.com. If you like what you heard today, please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and let us know what you want to hear about so you can be the first to hear about the trends coming from three to five years ahead. Once again, I'm one of your hosts for Make It Innovative, Mark Bryan. And I'm Sam Moeller. I'm a little sad that this is over, but I'm also really inspired by the conversation we had today. I hope you all can find the change you want to be to allow innovation to thrive in the way you live. Thank you for listening. And Jana and Brandon, thank you so much for coming on. It was awesome chatting with you guys.